0: I, uh, I read one of those quotes that just uh, stuck with me. Actually, I, I heard a speaker say it. He, he said, uh, when I open my Bible, God opens his mouth. I love that. You want to hear God speak to you, open your Bible. When I open my Bible, God opens his mouth. What a great thing. The Bible is God's story. The Bible speaks about the book of life, and the Bible is the book of life. The Bible's also filled with names, all kinds of names. A few of them we know real well. They're the heroes, you know, the, uh, the wise is Solomon's or King David or Joseph or Daniel or Isaiah or Paul or Peter, the big names, the heroes. But hundreds of times more, there are names in the Bible that nobody ever hears of. Nobody ever remembers that Obed was the father of somebody and somebody was the grandmother of what's-her-face, and what's-her-face, it's all there, generation after generation of names in the book of life. And what's important is to know that your name, whatever your name is, from those babies we just baptized to each one of you, your name is already entered there. The key is, what will it say about you? What will the book of life Say about you. God knows every name. God knows the names that we never remember. Two of those names were new to me for a long, long time, and uh, I have learned a little about their story, but I bet almost none of you know the names Shifra and Pua. Shifra and Pua. They are not in the top 10, they're not in the top 100, and yet God knows their story. They come at a crucial time in the story of God. God has raised up Joseph to be Pharaoh's right-hand man, saving Jacob and his children from famine that comes on the land. And for hundreds of years, Jacob's descendants, the Israelites, are not only honored guests, they are key figures in the kingdom, but they never really become Egyptians. That's where the story picks up. Now Joseph and all his generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. And he said to his people, Look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We must deal with them shrewdly, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out... They'll join our enemies, and then they'll leave. So the Egyptians put slave masters over the Israelites and forced them to build great storage cities. But the more they were oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread them and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor, with all kinds of work, and the Egyptians Feared them. Then it says this. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua. So Shifra and Puah are midwives. I don't want to say on Mother's Day, just midwives, but nobody else knew who they were. Shifra and Pua. The king said, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth under the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy kill the baby. But if it's a girl, let the baby live. The midwives, however, feared God more than the king and did not do what the king had told them to do, so they let the boys live. And then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, summoned the midwives and said, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth quickly before the midwives even arrive, taking, you know, advantage of the fact that men don't know, don't want to know any of this stuff. <clears throat> so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives, Shifra and Puah, feared God, God gave them families of their own. Shifra and Puah who even knew their names? God. God knows every name. The prophet Micah wrote, What does the Lord require of you? Has he not shown you what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? Hundreds of years before the prophet Micah wrote that, Shifra and Puah, were Micah people. They wanted to do justice. Like us, they lived in a broken world where little baby boys get shot on the north side by accident, where hundreds of thousands are killed in genocide, where millions flee for their lives, where race divides us a broken world, a war with good and evil. And as Micah called them, the people of God will do justice. They are called to step in, given divine chances to show what justice looks like, whether that's in Rwanda or whether that's that boy across the street that you wonder, is that little boy being bullied? You just, you don't know, but you just wonder. In its most direct biblical formulation, justice is very simple. Justice can be described as setting things right. Things have gone wrong. Justice is not getting even. Things have been broken. Justice is not paving it over. It is setting things right. Or on Mother's Day, maybe you'd want to be more poetic. Cornell, said, Cornell, West was, Cornell West was asked, you try to say it. <laughs> Cornell West was asked, what is justice? And, and West said, justice is what love looks like out in public. I love that. Justice is what love looks like out in public. But you could put that on a Hallmark card, couldn't you? What you need is reality. Mother's Day can be a Hallmark card moment too, but what's more natural on Mother's Day than to talk about justice because you're talking about life? Under the surface, the story of God in the Bible is loaded with women. The men get all the high lines. It was a patriarchal culture, but right under the surface, there are women through and through doing justice. Justice. There's Deborah, who becomes a female judge, inspiring cowardly male generals to get in the act. Rahab is not a prostitute with a golden heart, but she's a woman who sees God's judges coming into town and hides them from evil. Esther, Queen Esther, is too faithful to stop at being a runway model and saves her people. J.L., sneaks in to the tent to kill wicked Sisera even as he sleeps. And then there's Tamar and the slave girl with Naaman and the Magnificat of Mary and many, many, many other women in a man's world standing up for justice. And then there's Shifra and there's Puah and there's you. And there's me. How does God bring justice to a broken planet? I believe that God's justice can be brought in no particular order. I'm going to give you four things that happen. I don't think they happen, then one, then two, then three, then four, but I think each of these four things happen. How is God's justice brought? I think the first thing that happens before justice can come is that somebody has to see it and say that's wrong. Somebody has to see it and say that's wrong. In the film Amazing Grace, Wilberforce, who is trying to end slavery in Egypt, brings his distinguished friends on a party on a ship, sails them down the Thames, and anchors right next to a slave ship. So they hear it and smell it and feel it and want to get away, and Wilberforce says, you may not do anything, but you can never say now that you did not know. Somebody has to see it and say, this is wrong. After they see it, like Shifra and Pua, the Pharaoh says, kill all the babies, they know, and they know it's wrong. Then I believe that justice comes when somebody prays. It says, Shifra and Puah feared God. They were in contact, they were in contact with the God of the universe, and the God of the universe was telling them this is wrong. They feared God, and so they prayed to that God. In a book I'm going to talk about a little later, the author says, if I'm interested in justice, what can I do besides pray? The answer is always there is quite a lot that you can do, but there's absolutely nothing that you can do without prayer that will last. It's important to remember that God can do God's work whether we join God or not. God hears the cries of everyone suffering, whether we talk to God about it or not. God is with us and with them, whether we ask him or not. But when we pray, when we pray, we are choosing sides. You've seen it. When you pray, you're choosing sides. Justice can't come unless someone stands on God's side. The third thing that may sound self-evident, justice comes when someone sees and prays and starts. When they do something small, when they walk across the street and take a look at this little boy, watching him throw the ball and say, are those bruises suspicious or are they about right? When somebody sees what's happening and starts, shifra and Puah, take their life in their hands, and they disobey the king and don't kill the baby boys. They let the boys live. And when we start, we start small. Martin Luther King did not start out working for justice in a Birmingham jail. He started out small and ended up in a jail because when you do justice, one thing will lead to another. You don't know where you'll end up. You just know the first step that you ought to take. The fourth thing that I, I wrote down about God's justice being brought is that sooner or later, after you see it, prayed about it, started it, sooner or later, you have to trust that God will do what you cannot. You have to trust that God will do what you cannot. Shifra and Puah's story is great, but that's because it's in the far past and we know how that story ended. It, it says, because they feared God God blessed them and gave them children of their own but then the story will go on and get much darker things get far worse for Shifra and Puah and the other Israelites they get far worse before justice comes they get far far worse before something miraculous happens we see we pray we trust and we start where are the shifra and puah's of 2016 on Mother's Day. I think they're sitting right here. I I think… I think the church is filled with people who are passionate about justice, with women who don't want to leave it alone. Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Mission, is going to be here next week. He's going to speak at Grace Church. The president of International Justice Mission, Sean Litton, is going to speak here. And at six different churches in the Twin Cities, we're going to have a Justice Sunday. It's going to be a powerful thing to hear how 35 million children are enslaved in the world today and what you can do about that, what God is already doing. We will together celebrate Justice Sunday and then In the evening, next Sunday at Grace, we're going to have a concert that will talk about what God might want to do next. I say that all because Gary Haugen once uh, said to a group of us, What do you think God's plan is to rescue his broken creation? It's the church. The church is God's plan A, and God does not seem to have a plan B. It's the church. Shifra and Pua are sitting right here today. Shifra's name sounds like Becky. It sounds like Becky Walker. Becky was a successful banker, and in the course of her philanthropic work, you know the thing that rich people do when they want to not feel guilty. In the course of that, she was exposed to children, suburban children who are hidden in what looked like a wonderful place in the Twin Cities, and their lives were being wrecked because their families were disaster areas. She saw the plight of broken lives, and she has spent the last 10 years of her life leaving the banking industry, leading Treehouse. It's an organization that draws kids into safe environments where they can be loved unconditionally, learn from and support one another, and be given a fresh future. We saw the fruits of that labor this last Thursday night, listening to the stories that Becky's team had led. What struck me most was that this last year, Treehouse in the Twin Cities has touched 1,804 kids. Don't you love it that they know exactly how many kids there are? These kids are not a number to them. They are a name. And just as God knows their name, when somebody else knows their name, justice can come. I love that they know how many have come through the door. Becky is moving from being the CEO of Treehouse to be the Chief Executive Grandma, maybe a more important role. But thousands of children in the courts of heaven will praise God that she is Shifra. I, I uh <laughs> I thought of another one. I thought of another one. She's not a mom. But that's okay. You know, one of the things we have to watch out for on Mother's Day is that at least at least a third of us are single. Many are here, and they wish they could be moms, but they're not, or grandmas, or, or their kids have run away. But anyway, the other person I thought of, Pua, was uh, named uh, Dorothy Tet. Dorothy was a single woman in our congregation for decades, and uh, if you ever call the church, the, the phone will be answered between 9 and 5 by a volunteer receptionist. Every Friday afternoon was Dorothy's shot. Friday's my day off, but I would frequently call on Friday just to hear Dorothy answer the phone. She'd go, Christ Presbyterian Church, Dorothy Titt speaking. She'd say it that way, and since I have the maturity of a seventh grader, I'd say, oh, say it again, Dorothy. And then then I talked to Jody about Dorothy, and I found out that in her late 80s, in her late 80s, Dorothy Titt, the Spanish teacher, had begun teaching English as a second language to undocumented immigrants. In her late 80s, she would start to give just enough Spanish lessons so that our group who were going down to the border town in Mexico could survive in those days. And the way that I got to know Dorothy the best was that she was one of the first volunteers for what we call Families Moving Forward. And she said, I'll take the part of the job that nobody else, I don't have a family, I can do this. And so she would, every Thursday night, sleep overnight here, and that was her service to these kids and their moms, who just desperately needed a good night's sleep. And one morning about 6.15 on a Friday, I walked into my office and I looked over and there is 89-year-old Dorothy Ted asleep on my couch. It reminded me of Psalm 92. You you know, Psalm 92, it says this. Planted in the house of the Lord, the righteous will flourish in the courts of God. They will still bear fruit in their old age. They will stay fresh and green, and they will proclaim, the Lord is good. God is my rock. No wickedness is around him. Dorothy Pua Tit worked for justice. You know, much of this uh, sermon's uh, theological content comes out of a book that I'd, I'd recommend to you. It's, uh, it's called The Justice Calling. The Justice Calling. Bethany Huang is a, a, a member of the International Justice Mission that I talk about one of uh, Gary Haugen's proteges, but she has also for the last years been a member here at Christ Presbyterian Church. We gave her an office to write this book, which is a powerful idea of how you can learn about justice if you believe in God. She's going to be outside with that book. I would encourage you not to add it to your library. That means you buy it to say, okay, but to read at least the first chapter, because you will read the second the justice calling. Gary started out by saying, the church is God's plan A, God doesn't have a plan B. And Bethany picks that up, and she says, there are no God-forsaken places. There are only church-forsaken places, places where the children of God have yet to bring justice. Uh, Let me give you just in the last five minutes… Something that I learned from this book. Because when I hear sermons like this, I tend to get inspired. I want to get in the game. I want to say, there's got to be something a little more I can do. I want to be like Dorothy. I want to be like Becky. I want to be a hero for God. And she wrote about that. She says, Don't we need heroes that can rush to the rescue? The hero provides the action that changes everything for the good. The hero is at the center of the story, and some combination of timing and strength and courage and wisdom changes everything for the good. The Heroes are modest, but they often get credit for the rescue because without the hero's decisive action, this story does not end well. And then what Bethany reminded me was, Our response to God's calling in Jesus Christ, his calling to justice and truth and power, will not ultimately make us heroes. No heroes here. Our calling is even better. We're not called to be heroes, we are called to be saints. That's a terrible word in our society. Saints. It sounds holier than thou. Now, on on the other hand, it's Mother's Day, right? How many of you have ever said, My mom's a saint? I am the eldest boy of four Irish Roman Catholic kids born in four and a half years. My mother is a saint. (laughs) Trust me. But the scholar Samuel Wells notes that the word hero does not appear even one time in the New Testament. But the word saint is there 64 times. Saints do not save the day. They don't provide the decisive action that changes everything for the good because saints know that Jesus Christ has already gotten there first. The hero assumes that everything is left up to us and that it depends on us. Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to be the Savior. Saints are not the center of the justice story because God is the center of the justice story. God is ultimately responsible for the way that this story is, the way that this story is gonna end. So as saints, whether we are Shifra or Becky or Pua or Dorothy or you, as, as saints, we just don't fight occasionally for truth and justice. By the grace of God, we live the way of truth and justice and righteousness. As saints, we don't need to rely on our own power our own cleverness, our own strength, our own timing to save the day. We don't need to feel the weight of saving the world because we already know the one who does save the world, and it's not us. We're not the ones who ultimately set things right. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ is the one who has set and is setting and will set all things right. And saints, on Mother's Day, get to join him. That happens through something special. Something that we should do first instead of just at the end.